Do you remember maybe back in history class of studying about this man by the name of Hernando Cortez, this conquistador, Hernando Cortez? Uh, Maybe that name doesn't sound familiar to you, but maybe what he did uh, would be uh, would ring a, a bell with you. Uh, you know, actually, if you watched the, uh, the the beginning of the Tennessee Kentucky basketball game yesterday, the announcer sort of uh, indirectly mentioned what he is famous for, or at least the saying that he is famous for, because his motivational technique is pretty legendary. In 1519, he arrived in the New World with 600 men. Uh, 500 uh, in his army, 100 sailors, and he had his eyes set on conquering the Aztec Empire. You know, the Aztecs had not been defeated for a long time. Uh, There's gold there with them. And so here comes Hernando Cortez and his men, and they set their sights on uh, conquering uh, the the Aztec Empire. And upon his arrival during the Spanish's conquest of what we would know as modern-day Mexico, what he does is he destroys all of the ships that brought his men to that area. He set them on fire. He gave the command to set all those ships on fire. And what he was doing was he was sending a clear message to his men that you either conquer or be conquered. That there's no turning back. That I need your total commitment. Let's think about that here today spiritually. We, We know that Jesus demands total commitment. Right, Jacob just read a couple of verses for us this morning. We've all heard those verses. Love God with all your soul and heart and strength and mind. Right, that is total commitment. Take up your cross daily and follow me, Jesus says. That's total commitment. But what does that mean? What does that look like in our lives? Do we understand what it means to be totally committed to Jesus? Because I know you and I have seen way too many individuals simply walk away from the Lord. To walk away from his church because of stresses and trials and disappointments in life and hurt. Maybe they feel left out or unwanted. Our commitment to Christ must, it must run deep. It must not be surface level. And so that lesson, this lesson that we're going to look at this morning is intended to motivate us to develop a deeper level of commitment to our Lord and to his church. Would you turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19? And the first thing we're going to talk about here this morning is the Lord demands total commitment. And I hope this illustration here this morning sort of helps us to understand this maybe in a different sense. Maybe you've read this passage before but never really uh, uh, caught on to what's going on here. But here in 1 Kings chapter 19, let's read verses 19 through 21 together. Again, verse Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 19. So it says, So he departed from there. And found Elisha, the son of Shaphath, while he was plowing with twelve pairs of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen, And sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. So this is the the time in scripture where we see this transition between the prophet Elijah to the prophet Elisha. And Elijah is having a hard time at this time. You remember at the beginning of 1 Kings chapter 19, he feels like he's all alone. 
right? And, but God says, listen, you're not all alone and I've got some things for you to do. And you remember, he's going to say, you need to go to these two kings and you need to anoint them for me as kings. But he also tells them in verse 16 that there is a man by the name of Elisha who's going to be sort of your successor. And I want you to go and anoint him as well. Prepare him to be a, the, the next prophet after you. And he also tells them, listen, Elijah, you are not alone. I have 7,000 who have not bowed to Baal. You are not alone, Elijah. And so Elijah goes just as God has commanded to him. And he finds this man, Elisha, farming with these 12 pairs of oxen. And Elijah, he throws his mantle, his cloak over Elisha. And apparently Elisha knew what that meant. Right. Because he runs to Elijah and he says, listen, Elijah, yes, I will follow you. But first, let me go back to my mother and father and say goodbye to them and kiss them. And uh, is that OK with you? And Elijah says, listen, that's uh, that's not up to me. Right. This is God's calling. Uh, it's not my call. Go ahead and do what you feel is best. And so we read there in that last verse, 21, that he goes back with a pair of oxen. He sacrificed them on a fire built by those implements that he used, maybe the yoke of those oxen, but his farming equipment, and then they ate those oxen. Well, do you catch the symbolism here of the total commitment of Elisha? Why did he take his oxen and kill them and then boil them upon the fire that he started with his wooden implements? Again, his, his farming uh, equipment. This was his way of saying, I'm done with that life. I'm doing something else now. I'm not coming back. I don't need those tools anymore. I'm, I'm done with farming because now I am a prophet of God. I don't need those things anymore because I am totally committed. I have no use for that life anymore. You know, again, that's similar to the, the opening illustration. We talked about Cortez burning his ships because Elisha says, I am pressing forward and there is no going back. We see that in the New Testament as well. You know, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. Right? Jesus says the first thing you need to do is seek his kingdom. Seek it continually. Look at it with me in Matthew chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 34. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10 a couple of times this morning. But in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 34, again, listen to the, the, the words of Jesus. He's asking those that he's speaking to, are you going to be totally committed to my cause? Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be then the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Jesus in these passages is saying, listen, if you want to be my disciple, you can't dabble in Christianity. You're going to need to, he says a really strong language, hate your mother and father. And that word hate, we know really, it means love less. It doesn't mean hatred, but it means love less, that you need to love less those other relationships, those other things, the relationships in this world, and I, I need to come first. And if you're not willing to do that, he says, you're not worthy of what I have to offer. 
See, our relationship, Jesus and I, he says, must supersede any other relationship. I need your total commitment, Jesus says, if you want to be a disciple of mine. Well, again, this morning we ask ourselves, how do we see that in our lives? And so we're going to notice some truths to remember about being totally committed uh, in our lives to Jesus. And the first truth that we want to uh, mention here this morning is that we should always expect adversity. Being a disciple of Jesus means that we should expect that. You know, it's simple. If you are not totally committed to Jesus this morning, there's a chance that you'll quit. I can recall back in in high school, coming up as a freshman, going into high school and trying out for the varsity soccer team. Right? And I remember showing up there for soccer tryouts, not knowing what was going to go on. And do you know what we did that first whole week of practice? We ran and we ran and we ran. Right? We hardly ever touched a soccer ball. Well, why? Because the coach wanted to find out which one of us were totally committed to being on this team. He wanted to weed out those who maybe were there because they felt the pressure from their parents of being on the soccer team or maybe to weed out those who maybe were there simply just to be on a team and maybe get a letter jacket and be popular in school. It was a way of weeding out those who really had no desire to be there in the first place. Well, friends, if one is not totally committed in Christianity, then they'll quit because being a Christian is not easy. Remember that verse that we just read, that Jacob read for us? Take up a cross daily and follow me? Really, Jesus? Uh, You know, a lot of us will say, well, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm interested in eternal life. I'm interested in heaven. But you seriously expect me to deny myself. You don't really expect me to deal with being persecuted or going through adversity? Well, Jesus says, yes, I do. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, or excuse me, verse 12, uh, listen to what the Apostle Paul says here. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, says that you desire to live a godly life, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to have adversity. Think of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. You remember in this passage, he lists all of the things that happened to him in his life? I mean, listen to these things. Are, are they servants of Christ? I speak if uh, insane, I more so, in far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern of all the churches. Paul lets us know in that passage that, yes, uh, I am totally committed. Listen to the things that I have endured in this life. But sadly, there are those who are not totally committed to the Lord. And the hour comes when the Lord needs them and they won't be there. It's like God saying to one, listen, I needed you. I needed you to share your experience to, to your brother or sister that's going through that same trial 
that you went through. You went through it and got out on the other side, and now they're going through it, but you're not there for them. I comforted you, and I expect you to comfort them, but you're not there. Or maybe it's, you know, at one time you were down on your luck and you needed some help, whether it was financial help or just needed, a, you know, to get back on your feet. And now the tables have turned to where, you know, you're in a, a better position and somebody else is not. But because you're not totally committed to the cause of Christ, where are you? We need to remember, we need to expect adversity. Number two, truths to remember about total commitment. God knows the difference. He knows the difference. Do we tend to play games with God? Do we think that we can fool him by going through the motions? You know, sometimes we live life by thinking that maybe he's not really going to examine my heart. You know, maybe I'll get a free pass. Do you remember those churches in Revelation? You remember we have those seven churches in Asia Minor, and uh, as the Lord is addressing each one of them, in Revelation chapter 3 in particular, there's these two that he brings up. First of all, he, he talks about the, the church there in Sardis, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 and 6. And he says, listen, as he's writing to them, he says, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. The people say, listen, that's, that's a, a, a live church. You know, I hear a lot of good things coming from them. But Jesus says, you're not alive. You're dead. I know better. You can't fool me. You can fool them, but you can't fool me. And he says, wake up, Sardis, wake up. And then in verses 14 through 19 in Revelation chapter 3, he addresses the church in Laodicea. Remember this congregation? This was the one, the lukewarm church. Remember that Jesus said, I want to spit them out of my mouth. He says, you know, you think of yourselves as rich and wealthy and in need of nothing. But Jesus says, you are far from it. Actually, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. And if you and I, if we think we can practice Christianity visibly, but we're not totally committed to the cause, Jesus knows. He knows. He knows if we're not spending time in his word as he has instructed us to do. He knows if we come to worship just simply to check a box and to say that, okay, I came to worship, but my heart really wasn't in it. He knows if we say one thing, but practice another. I want you to look at a couple of kings, a couple examples of kings as well. In 2 Chronicles chapter 25, um, I want you to notice this about King Amaziah, 2 Kings, or excuse me, 2 Chronicles chapter 25. We learn about this king, King Amaziah. Uh, he was 25 years old when he begun, begins to reign on the throne of, of, of Jerusalem there. And he reigns for 29 years. Well, that's a decent amount of time for a king during that time. You're not all kings reign that long. And he reigns 29 years. Well, look at verse 2. Second Chronicles 25 verse 2. It says, he did right in the sight of the Lord. Now let's just put a period right there. Right there, because, man, that's a great king. But as you look at that verse, is there a period right there? There's not, is there? But there's a comma. Because it says, he did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. This king was not totally committed, but he had split commitments, split loyalties. Like one who follows when it's only convenient for him. You know, when the rubber uh, meets the road, right? They, they turn the other way. That was King Amaziah. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 6, maybe a king that we're more familiar with. 
Solomon. Uh, notice what it says about Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 6. You know, as, as wise as this man was, he made some pretty big mistakes in life, including those 700 wives and 300 concubines that we read about that turned his heart away to other gods. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 6 records Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as David, his father, had done. He did not follow the Lord fully. See, it doesn't matter uh, if we are a king or if we're just simply a member of a congregation. The point is, Jesus knows. He knows. And so we need to remember that when we want to be totally committed to the Lord. Number three, and this point's not going to be that long because we've already talked about this a little while ago. But we need to remember who we are serving. Remember who we are serving. You want to be totally committed to Jesus and to his church? Remember who you're serving. See, you're not serving yourself. You're not serving your parents or your spouse or the preacher or the the leadership in the church. But you're serving God. And we need to constantly be reminded of that in all things that we do for for the church. Because if I'm serving others, uh, there's going to be times where, you know, I might want to quit. Right. Because they're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And we make mistakes. We might uh, rub each other a little bit the wrong way from time to time. I need to remember that I'm serving God. Colossians chapter three, verse 23 says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Remember, when you are in the trenches, so to speak, that you're not doing it uh, for man. But Paul says, remember that you are doing it for the Lord. What has he ever done to me? Uh, how can I say no to him? Right? He is always, always acting in my best interest. And so uh, here's another point that we want to remember about being totally committed is remembering who we are serving. And finally this morning, one more point, and then the lesson will be yours. We need to be willing to die for one another. Let me explain what that means. Turn back to Matthew chapter 10 with me. Uh, We just looked at some of those passages there about being totally committed in verses uh, 34 through 38. But let's look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. I purposely didn't read that point or that verse so that I could leave it here for this point. But Matthew chapter 10, in verse 39, Jesus says, He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. What do I mean by this point here that we need to be willing to die for each other, for one another? See, Jesus said that the person who loses his life for his sake finds it. And the idea here is that true life, abundant life, comes when you are willing to give up those temporal aspects you know, the me, mine uh, type of scenario of life. And by dying to self, by following Jesus, you're willing to lay down your life for the cause of Christ. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Back in uh, one of my preacher friends uh, told this uh, illustration that has always stuck with me and and I want to share that with you this morning when we, we talk about this point. Uh, that he, he knows of a, uh, another preacher, a man that, you know, I have not, no idea who he is, but he, he wasn't, he's described as, you know, he wasn't the most dynamic of preachers. 
Right? You wouldn't say, man, that, that guy really you know, wows me with his oritative, uh, oritative skills. But again, he, he wasn't a big name in the brotherhood. Uh, he didn't preach at lectureships or gospel meetings. You probably would never even know uh, of his name. But he just went upon his, his business, doing his work the best that he could. And this individual, he went on a uh, mission trip, one of these you know, maybe like three or four week long mission trips. And so he was away from the congregation for a while. And when he returns, he learned that the men had hired a new preacher while he was gone. He was given no warning that this was happening. And he comes home and he's told that he needs to pack his bags. How would you respond to that situation? You know, because that that preacher, uh, he could have destroyed that congregation as to how he was treated. Right? He, he could have went to some of the members and said, can you believe what they've done to me? He could have went out into the community and say, I wouldn't go to that church. He could have got on the Internet and posted, you know, maybe some of those reviews on Google or Facebook and say, uh, give them one star and say, hey, don't go worship with them. This is what they did to me. Do you want to know how he responded to that? The church never knew anything about that. The congregation didn't find out any of that. Why? Because he kept quiet and he moved on. He didn't say a word. He didn't make a scene because he was willing to die, to die for the sake of unity. Now that uh, story, um, a true story, you know, resonated with me when I heard that. But that's not even the end of it. See, here's why I really remember this story, because five years later, he's preaching at another congregation. And uh, he, he goes on vacation. You're thinking, uh-oh, uh, what's going on here? Right, but he goes on vacation, and he comes back a little bit early from his vacation, a day early. And he notices that there's a couple of men coming out of his parsonage. Uh, uh, one of them he recognizes as a member of the congregation, and one he has no idea who he is. But on the next day, on Sunday morning, as they gather for worship, he finds out who that man was. He was, he was the fill-in preacher right, that was going to cover for him that day. Well, well that member, he, he talks to him and says, were you in my house the other day? And he said, well, no. Well, he talks to the fill-in preacher, were you in my house the other day? And the, the man admits, well, yeah, we, they were showing me around uh, the parsonage uh, of where I would live when uh, they, they offer me the job. Well, again, how would you react to that situation? Uh, this man's already gone through this once before, and here's the second time. Again, how much damage could he have done to that congregation and that community? He could have even said, you know what, I give up. I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. I don't want to be a part of, this, uh, a part of his church if this is how the brethren are going to treat me. But again, do you want to know how he responded? He again said nothing and moved on. Again, he might not be the best preacher to ever preach, but this man is a true hero in the faith. He was willing to suffer wrong to keep the unity of the faith in those congregations. And when things don't go my way, totally committed people, they die for the cause. Jesus says they'll die for the cause. Uh, he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. They're not going to stand up for their rights. Right? Uh, that I didn't deserve this and it, I shouldn't have been treated this way. But instead, they lay down their life for the cause of Christ. And Jesus said those who do that, they will find life. This morning, the rewards of being totally committed, they, they make any sacrifice you make well worth it. 
Have you burned your ships when it comes to following Jesus? Have you burned your oxen when it comes to following Jesus? If not, we, we implore you this morning, turn to him. Get rid of whatever is holding you back. Hopefully some of the points that we talked about this morning will help us with that resolve. They'll help us understand that we can't straddle the fence when it comes to Jesus. We can't have one foot in the church and one foot out of the church because it's not going to work. Jesus says, as a disciple of Christ, we have to sacrifice in this life. But again, the reward of being totally committed to him will far surpass the sacrifices that you have to make. And we need to rise above our mediocrity and follow the Lord with our whole heart. I need to be committed to Christ to receive that home in heaven. And today, out of any day, today would be a great day to say, listen, I want to burn my oxen. I don't want anything holding me back anymore. I want to be totally committed on Christ and his church. And I'm going to make today the day that I do that. I want to be totally committed to you, Lord, today. This morning, if you have not put your trust in Jesus, if you have not followed his commandments, Mark Mark 16, verse 16, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Today, make that your day. If you have not put Christ on in baptism, have not become a member uh, of his church in Acts chapter 2, we implore you to do that this morning. Make that decision this morning to burn your oxen. Again, to leave that past behind and to move forward as a new creature, new creation in Christ. Or this morning, if you're a member here or just a Christian who's struggling, needs the encouragement of this congregation, needs the prayers of this congregation. Or maybe you too want to say, you know what, I have not been fully committed as I should be. And I want to make that change. I want to burn my ships. I want to burn those oxen. And I want to press forward in 2023, committed, totally committed to you, Lord. Please, uh, please uh, let us know together as we stand and sing the song of encouragement.